Um, I'll kick things off with a, a couple of words on e-invoicing and how um, e-invoicing can help um, prevent fraud in accounts payable. Um, one of the benefits um, e-invoicing can bring to any organisation is the controls that it provides. Controls that are critical for preventing fraud um, in any um, AP department. For example, e-invoicing provides controls over who can send invoices. Um, so um, they can't be sent to a company unless there is a relationship across um, a network and that network has been approved. Now, most of the networks out there um, do have processes in place for verifying the identity of its members and also have duplicate checks um, within their uh, processes to ensure that accounts can't be cloned by simply gathering a company's information. Um, in addition to that, um, most invoicing providers will provide some kind of pre-validation of invoices before they're released to a customer. Often these validations can tie back to a specific purchase order number and indeed line items um, of a purchase order number, which makes it extremely difficult um, or would require very sophisticated methods um, to get the correct data in order to get an invoice through um, a network, let alone past a solution like NXG. Um, now, we're all aware of the impact that COVID's had and the pressure it's put on organisations, um, their supply chains and the staff working within them. Um, this in turn has seen a six-fold increase in fraud. Um, these are both complex um, and unsophisticated attempts um, where fraudsters not only trying to steal cash, but also access um, secure systems. Um, Tasha, um, with your obvious um, experience and expertise, um, it would be great um, if during today's discussions we could cover why the increase, uh, what are the drivers um, for fraud, um, and most importantly, um, how can we protect our spend? So I'll, I'll kick things off um, and ask if you can pinpoint us um, why um, the sudden increase in fraud during lockdown. Um, and wh what was the, the gradual increase um, th that we saw prior to the, the pandemic? What were the drivers there? And indeed, will this um, trend continue after the, the pandemic? So over to you, Tasha. All right. Well, thank you, Matt, and, and great questions. Um, to start, so why the increase during the pandemic? So I would say there's probably four areas that come to mind. Number one would be, you know, the reduce of visibility. So with people um, working remotely and the limits, you didn't have the oversight that you would typically have in your day-to-day -day processes across finance. So I would say that's one of the areas. And because you don't have the visibility or that readily access to uh, your coworkers and, and alike in the management team, then that can create some communication gaps. And so it's more difficult. And with those difficulties within communication, that can cause delays in your P2P cycle. I would say the second thing is just relaxed checks. I mean, COVID was something that put pressures on everyone. And so those pressures also um, affected the pay cycle and, and how things were being managed. And then you also had the effects on the supply chain. So those results it kind of caused people to skip processes they, they would normally um that they would normally perform. And so with those relaxed checks, because, hey, we need to get these invoices out, we need to get them paid, who's, they didn't have the, just the access that they typically would have. And then of course, there was a creation of staffing concerns. I mean, everyone, there was a lot of, you know, 
fear involved, but there was a lot of situations where family constraints because of the lockdown, because of travel restrictions, can't get to the office, um, furloughing, and then even people being sick. And so the sickness caused staff shortages and all of these difficulties will add to um, the issues of exposure. And then the other aspect that comes to mind would be IT systems. So uh, unsuitable IT systems are unstable because no one really expected to have a large amount of people working remotely and then not having those technology things put in place. And so I would say those were some of the reasons why there's been an increase of exposure um, to particular fraud within the PEP cycle or the AP area. Interesting. And Outside the opportunities that the pandemic has presented uh, fraudsters, uh, what are the main drivers for fraud that you see? Well, the main drivers that come to mind, and, and some will be familiar with this thing called the fraud triangle. So this happens, these three things have to be, or drivers are there for any particular fraud. That's opportunity, pressures, and rationalization. Well, the opportunity was created based on what I mentioned earlier about the lack of visibility, the lack of checks. And so there was more exposure in that sense to give opportunity. Then we have the pressure. Everyone is under pressure. People are fur furloughed, losing jobs, not having the readily um, accessibility to the resources that they need. And so those pressures can cause you to look for areas to maybe take advantage of or for those fraudsters to say, here's an opportunity for me to get money. Well, everyone has pressures and there's opportunities, but that rationalization, that's the driver that will cause people to act on that. And so they can rationalize that because they've lost jobs. They can rationalize because, hey, I've been working for this company for years and this is how they treat me or they didn't put things in place. So opportunity pressures and rationalization, I would say, are the drivers to fraud in any particular time frame, whether it be a pandemic or in normal operations. Interesting. And what can an AP professional be doing right now to stop fraud in their organization? And that's a great question. And I would say the thing that they need to do first, first of all, we need to have visibility as to where our exposure lies. Um, so having access to some type of reporting for you to be able to see where those areas are. And the great starting point, um, I would say, would be your master supplier file. So you want to see where your exposure is. The master supplier file is a key place to start. Um, and then in looking at that, you want to make sure that there's some regular cleansing uh, being done to eliminate those exposure areas. And is there a, a recommended methodology for, for doing this? In my experience, looking at lots and lots of vendor masters in the past, that they're, they're far from pretty. <laughs> you are so right. Um, and that is a challenge to most, I would say, of over 80% of um, AP areas, that's the first thing that they're going to say is, we know it's a problem. Um, so absolutely, the methodology would be, number one, you want to build some type of relationship, that engagement with procurement, because they own the onboarding, typically the onboarding process. But AP, the AP area, they know what's coming across. And so I would say engage procurement for that partnership. I would also say you want to remove dormancy. 
So those inactive suppliers, that's a way to have, going back to that visibility, being able to quantify where that inactivity is within your um, organization. And then I would say remove duplicate accounts or move those duplicate records. Um, duplicates will cause, um, again, will cause you to have duplicate payments, paying uh, missed suppliers, but then it also presents that level of potential fraud risk as well. And these checks, I assume, would include both on new supplier records and updated updates to old ones as well? I would say yes. <laughs> so it's imperative to proactively check on that onboarding aspect. So check them as they come in. Um, I like the phrase to say, guard your front door. So you guard your front door coming in, making sure you're doing those proactive checks. But also, as I mentioned, it's imperative for you to have that ongoing, ongoing monitoring as well. And so once they're there, things happen over time. There are changes within an organization, changes within processes. So you want to constantly monitor that as well to have those um, checks within a periodic time frame. And Tessa, if I think back across my career and speaking to you know various customers and prospects about listening to their war stories of fraud, um, almost always um, it was an inside job and there was an employee involved. Um, or the information that was used to, to commit the fraud was something that only really an, an employee um, could have known. In fact, um, KPMG's global profile of fraudsters states that 65% yeah. um, of victims of fraud, organisations um, that are victims of fraud, is committed by um, employees. And a further 21% is committed by um, former employees. What can be done to uh, protect us against employee fraud? Well, I would say there that you want to, number one, have segregation of duties or separation of duties. Being able to ensure that your um, policies are in place to check for those things, that's going to be a key um, area. Um, one thing that I always think of is that deterrence. And so recirculate you know, your guidelines in regards to policies on what procedures need to be taken and then actively um, check for that, but also alert them that you're you're reviewing. You know, it's the perception of detection that is one of the greatest deterrents for fraud. So you want your employees to know, as well as suppliers, that you are actively checking and monitoring and that's an area of prevention as well. So being able to check that and have those thing guidelines go out that they're signing off on as well to let them know we're watching. And does that have to be as time consuming as it sounds it could be? Not at all. I mean, now, if you're doing this a manual in a manual way, then yes. But they're with software and, and things such as our uh, fiscal forensic solutions, that's something that you're able to automate. So like auto assign. So if X comes in, it's assigned to Y. You know, those types of um, checks and balances that you have there can kind of ensure that 
the right people are monitoring the right things, but then also going back, tying it back to your reporting as well and being able to monitor performance for those different users and see where there are flags and maybe a possibility of increased exceptions that are coming through in those particular areas regarding a potential risky user, um, as well as monitoring for things uh, where you see risky suppliers come up that may be associated commonly with a potential employee. Makes sense. Now, if you look at payments, I assume that making irregular payments, payments out of cycle, um, is something that can create higher risks and should be avoided if possible? You are correct, Matt. <laughs> um, irregular payments, uh, unusual invoices. This is something that impacts um, most, if not all, uh, organizations. But the thing about it is, again, you want to have visibility into that. So checking for those exceptions, um, checking for things like, I would say, like one-time vendors. One-time vendors, they bypass your typical onboarding process. So there can be risk in those areas just simply because they're not going through the typical checks and balances within um, those particular accounts. So you want to monitor those closely. So be able to have reporting to see who those one-time suppliers might be. And then also look at any type of um, exceptions and flags. And so in order to look at that, you actually have to be monitoring uh, for those flags. So different types of checks like spikes um, within transactions. You want to see things that are processed on abnormal days or time um, periods, those types of things. Okay. Um, so with all this in mind, um, are there any other key activities the AP professional could be doing right now to further protect spend? I would say yes. So there are several different um, fraud risk flag checks that you could be monitoring. Now, one check in and of itself doesn't mean a supplier is fraudulent or is at risk for fraud. But when you have combinations of exceptions for particular suppliers, things like, as I mentioned, transaction spikes, things like um, sequential invoicing patterns. You want to be tracking um, things where it's low activity on a particular supplier. So this supplier is new and all of a sudden they have jumps or variations. So looking at things like that. So there are several different uh, types of flags that you can look for and that you should be checking on a regular basis for not just a sample, but you want to be looking, have a system that's looking at all transactions as they come in at all times. Excellent. Well, thank you, Tasha, um, for that brilliant information. Um, it's been really interesting talking to you, uh, really interesting to learn about your solution, your approach, um, and how that could complement electronic invoicing. Um, indeed, all the processes uh, that span across the accounts payable department. If I can just kind of sum up what I'm taking away from today is, um, firstly, uh, be proactive and not reactive. Um, regularly cleanse your, your vendor master file. Um, monitor the adding of new suppliers, as you said, particularly the one-time vendors. Um, also keep a handle on any requests for bank detail um, changes of existing suppliers. Um, enforce separation of duties within the finance department to safeguard against employee fraud, um, spot check irregular payments, um, and don't ignore um, credits and look out for those spikes in your trends.
Absolutely. Thank you very much. Do you have any questions? I've got one here. Um, I think it's better. Um, it's sort of more directed to Tasha. It says that what would be a situation where an employee can create fraud that benefits themselves directly and how can this be protected against? That is a great question. So what comes to mind um, with the situation that involves an employee benefiting directly? I would say an employee um, having a supplier set up within the vendor master file or supplier master file and then having um, invoices paid through that account. So they create their own company. Um, and it's easy these days to go and have a company, an LLC created. And so sometimes what an employee will do is look for those low activity um, suppliers and either manipulate that particular record for that um, for that supplier and then go back in. As Matt uh, mentioned, we talk about the actual bank account changes. So they go in and externally send to have a request for a bank account to be changed on a particular supplier record. And if you're not monitoring that and checking against that, then of course they have now the ability to have invoices being redirected to this new bank account. And the supplier is set up because they were able to manipulate maybe a supplier that was already there um, or have a supplier on board. And one way to prevent this, it goes back to what um, Matt mentioned about Pagaro and, and just e-invoicing itself, having that the e-invoice process where they're going through several checks. And Matt, I think I recall you mentioning that they're checking against that supplier against the whole network. So to see if this is a legitimate, um, not only transaction, but in dealing with that company itself. And so if you are monitoring the trends for those transactions and then also including where things are having to be done in an e-invoice process, not submitting anything manually, then that can kind of prevent that particular situation from happening. Thank you. Um, a second question here. Um, fraud is a significant and high profile risk, but what else do we need to be protected against in our P2P cycle? I think that one's for you, Matt. Okay, I'll, I'll take a stab at that one. Um, I would, and I'm biased, but I would recommend that people uh, review the controls um, that electronic invoicing and PO distribution uh, can bring to their organisation. As I said at the the open of the call. It makes it very, very difficult to commit fraud. Um, also, if it's electronic, it also has a full um, audit trail, uh, which acts as both a good deterrent and also investigative tool um, should any incident actually occur. I don't know if Tash, if you have anything to, um, to add on to that? Um, I would say just reviewing for um, any type of internal or external compliance uh, breaches. Um, you want to look for uh, the payment timing. And so that is a way um, to prevent that kind of monitoring the cycles of payments. Not only will that help prevent with um, risk of fraud, 
but just also with just, you know, cost savings and monitoring just your everyday processing to prevent errors. Um, one thing that comes to mind when we talk about um, that is the aspect of looking at, say, things like days to entry, days to pay uh, reporting. If you can get, say, an invoice in the system within less than 20 days, 95% of your transaction should be inputted, say, within less than 20 days. The longer that time period it takes for you to enter um, a payment, or enter uh, invoice for payment, the longer that period, the greater the exposure. Why? Because me as a supplier, I would tend to kind of send in another invoice thinking you didn't get the first one. And so now I've created duplicates. And then with those duplicates, now I have additional errors and then it just causes bottlenecks in the process as well. So sometimes it's not just the risk of uh, fraud, but just overall transactional risk that's causing exposure um, and money seepage within your organization. I hadn't really thought of that. Um, <laughs> I, I'll be using that later. I mean, as you well know, one of the benefits of, of invoicing is getting the getting the invoice into the system immediately. I hadn't really thought about it like that. I'll use that one. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very thank much. Thank you. Sure. And thank you again, Matt. Thanks. Bye-bye.